Love your neighbor as yourself. It's the second part following the greatest commandment. The easy part, at least that's what some people say. It's the part that we say on the exhale after we've spent our breath on love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love the neighbor as yourself. When people tell me that this part is easy or something that they understand, I'm often perplexed because I think that it's difficult. How is it that some people find this easy? Are they forgetting one of the paramount portions of this simple sentence, as yourself? I think that is the difficult part. I remember reading a note of wisdom an older man wrote to a young person. It was on a piece of paper that I saw it written, and it said, Forgive your friends always, yourself never. What? I wanted to take a black sharpie and scribble all that out. Or at the very least, to put an arrow right pointing to the words with my words beside it, underlined and with exclamation marks. And my words were going to be, it's impossible. You can't forgive your neighbor if you have not yourself received forgiveness. The very things I want to do, I don't do, said the Apostle Paul. And that which I want to do, I still try to do. What are we going to do with ourselves? Our imperfect, always messing up selves, if we don't allow them to be forgiven. Paul says, that which I want to do, well, even then evil lies close at hand. One of my children was a hitter in those early preschool days. It seemed to happen a lot more than I expected, and fortunately it didn't happen as much at school as it did at home, but I can honestly say it happened too often. I tried all of the good parenting techniques. Time out, I tried it. A reasoned approach to understanding, I tried it. A behavioral awareness approach, such as, when you feel this, what could you do instead? I tried it. If I happened to be around and noticed the ire rising within the three-year-old frame, I would intercede for the best chance of success. All of these failed. On more than one occasion, I was tempted to abandon my own ethical commitment and see if maybe on this occasion the ends could justify the means. I wanted to, but I didn't. Oh, but I wanted to. But I didn't raise my hand to administer a blow to end all blows. Instead, I settled for raising my voice and demonstrating with my sheer frustration through gritted teeth. I can't say that any of it worked. One day, when one of my other children called out, so-and-so hit me, I dutifully went in the room and wearily pulled the guilty three-year-old onto my lap, and I confessed, I do not know what to do with you. I have tried everything to help you see that you cannot hit people. 
I don't know what to do to get you to quit hitting. And my little three-year-old also confessed to me, I don't know why I do it. My body just does it even when I don't want it to. And I said, you know, there was someone in the Bible who felt that way. Really? My three-year-old's attention was captured. Yeah, I said. The things he didn't want to do, he did. And even when he wanted to do the right thing, he felt like the wrong thing was always easier. We sat there together in weary silence. This passage in Romans, when Paul speaks of his own inabilities to be the person that he hopes to be, the person that he knows he can be, we get it. It resonates with us. And as we listen to him mourn his imperfections in spite of his best efforts, we remember our own. Our regret grows. So when he asks the question, wretched man that I am, who will rescue me from this body of death? We beg to know the answer. Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Paul is able to accept himself, to love, to live with his wretchedness because he knows that God loves him and accepts him through Jesus. God's acceptance of him becomes his forgiveness. He knows that he is loved unconditionally. Paul is so transformed by this radical, accepting, forgiving love that he will stop at nothing to make certain that others know of it too. He has no time for vengeance, and he has no patience for those who preach the gospel and forget this fundamental, foundational truth that God loves you just as you are. Through Jesus Christ, you are accepted as you are, forgiven for not being worthy of the love God has to offer. And here is the paradox. The only thing, the only thing that can make you worthy of the love God has for you is accepting it. Accepting God's love freely given. That's the only act you can do to make yourself worthy of it. When we know this forgiveness, this acceptance, we know ourselves most truly. And this knowing is not rooted in our own rightness. This unconditional love, this accepting and forgiving love, is expressed by George Herbert, a 17th century Anglican poet, in his poem entitled Love Three. In this poem, George imagines himself entering a room realizing upon entering that he has entered a space that is too good for him. What he sees before him is not something that he's worthy to engage. But the host, divine love, believes otherwise and persuades George to stay and eat the meal prepared for him. This is the poem, Love Three. Love bade me welcome. Yet my soul drew back, guilty of dust and sin. But quick-eyed love, observing me grow slack from my first entrance in, drew nearer, sweetly asking if I lacked anything. I guessed, I said, worthy to be here, 
Ah, said love, you shall be he. I, the unkind, the ungrateful, I cannot look on thee. Love took my hand and did reply, who made the eyes but I? True, Lord, but I have marred them. Let my shame go where it doth deserve. Know you not, said love, who bore the blame? My dear, then I will serve. You must sit, said love, and taste my meat. So I did sit and eat. When George realizes his own humanity and the truth that he cannot sustain himself, he is moved to receive all that God has to offer him. He begins to love himself with the love that God has for him. And now this is where the second of the great commandment, love your neighbor as yourself, this is where it starts to gain traction. What is it that gives us the strength to love in and through all imperfections? Loving and being loved most certainly opens us up to the need to forgive and to be forgiven. And I wonder to myself, is there some key self-understanding that gives us the wherewithal to forgive? Is self-love enough to accept ourselves and others as they are? Is it enough to offer forgiveness? In the European Journal of Personality, I found an article on the work of Felix Nato and Etienne Moulet exploring the relationship between self-esteem and the ability to forgive. The definition that they used in their study was from an earlier study led by a man named Subkoviak and his team. And here is the definition they use for forgiveness. In forgiving, a person overcomes resentment toward an offender, but does not deny him or herself the moral right to such a resentment. The forgiver tries to have a new stance of benevolence, compassion, and even love toward the offender, even though the offender has no moral right to such a merciful response. The important points they go on to say of this definition are A, one who forgives has suffered a deep hurt, thus showing a negative response. B, the offended person has a moral right to certain negative responses, such as resentment, but overcomes them nonetheless. C, a new response to the other accrues, including compassion and love. And D, this loving response occurs despite the realization that there is no obligation to love the offender. Nato and Moulet's findings surprised them, in particular in relationship to self-esteem, because self-esteem actually has no substantive effect on the ability to forgive. In other words, loving yourself doesn't inspire or motivate you to love your neighbor. Even when other variables were taken into consideration, such as gender, self-esteem actually had a negative effect on the ability to forgive. So this leads us into a theological question. Is it actually the love of self that empowers and directs us to love our neighbor, or is it something else? 
Perhaps it is our ability to see ourselves as loved that gives us the internal motivation to love our neighbor. I imagine that the Apostle Paul and George Herbert would say that, that, is the, that it is the ability to see ourselves as loved that makes all of the difference in our relationship with our neighbor. My own child, the hitter, would be another person, I would believe, who would say the same. Knowing that someone knows us as we know ourselves and loves us anyway creates within us the capacity to respond to others in a new way. This love is what Jesus invites us into. In our gospel lesson, we hear his frustration with people's response to his message. They ask for it and then don't recognize it. They seem impervious. They don't want to receive it from the prophet, and they won't receive it directly from him. Yet even in spite of the hurt caused to him by his community, the hurt that results from being misunderstood or dismissed, Jesus offers himself again. Come unto me, he says, all you that are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. This is forgiveness. To insert Jesus into Sabovia's team's definition of forgiveness, Jesus overcomes the resentment that is a byproduct of the hurt. Jesus seeks and succeeds to have a new stance of benevolence, compassion, and even love toward the offender, even though the offender has no moral right to such a merciful response. Jesus has every reason to decide not to offer that which he has to give. It would be completely understandable for him to refuse to be merciful again, or compassionate again, or loving again. And yet he doesn't deny us. Speaking to his disciples, we hear his words to us, too. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am meek and lowly of heart, and you will find rest for your souls. When we receive the love of Jesus, when we allow Jesus to love us in spite of our limitations, when we allow Jesus to love us in his knowing of us, it is then that we can freely love our neighbors. We can love our neighbors because we ourselves are loved. We are loved and are able to love with a love that is accepting and forgiving. We are able to love with a love that keeps no record of wrongs, with a love that bears all things, hopes all things, endures all things, with a love that never fails. The love with which we love our neighbor is not our own, but the love that God has given to us in Jesus. This has to be the love that has made forgiveness possible in horrible, horrible situations. I think about the Emanuel AME Church in Charleston, South Carolina, and the response of forgiveness after someone came into their sacred space and killed a dozen people. I think about Archbishop Desmond Tutu's leading effort in the Truth and Reconciliation Commission in South Africa, where people confessed 
the atrocities and heard forgiveness. It's fundamental to us to know that we are known in order to know that we are loved. And so every Sunday we have an opportunity again and again to remember this, this gift that God gives us in Jesus. We have our general confession where we, we ask for forgiveness for the sins that we have done and then the sins that have been done on our behalf. We don't know what our sins are in relationship to our neighbors, if they're worse or not so bad as the person next to us. But that's not the point. And when we pray in the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us, we say it together collectively. It is not a competition about who's done the worst or who's not done the worst. But it's important for us to know that God knows, that we know the wrongs that we have done. Because when we know that God knows that we know that, then we will believe God when he says, I love you. Come to this table, Jesus says. We have put those words in his mouth in this modern day life of being his body. Come to this table. You who have much faith and you who would like to have more. You who have been here often and you who have not been for a long time. You who have tried to follow Jesus and you who have failed, come. It is Christ who invites us to meet him here, sustaining us for the life we are called to in him. Jesus invites us to come into that love. All that we need to do is accept the invitation. Amen.